Hi everyone, this is episode six of season four and today I have Matt back with me. Hi Matt. Good morning Catherine, lovely to hear from you and uh, congratulations on your uh, your wedding anniversary. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the picture was absolutely lovely and um, as, as I've uh, maybe mentioned, uh, you, you look absolutely lovely, radiant uh, bride as expected of course and, <laughs> and, and Alan looks um, shocked. He does. Alan looks shocked. <laughs> he looks very young. He looks incredibly young. Well, in he does, he does well. look young, God bless him. Um, but I'm, I'm sure those 16 years of... Um, Aged yeah, him, yes. ...have been great fun. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Absolutely. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you again. Lovely to speak to you too. So today we're going to be talking about blood cancer and insurance applications. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So for everybody that is sort of like joining in and listening, um, we've got a little bit of a background in terms of things like blood cancers, because I think sometimes we hear some of the terminology and we're not completely sure whereabouts it sits in the kind of like where it is cancer wise. And then Matt's obviously going to help us to really understand the the real sort of like technical medical side of things. So um, just some quick statistics just to help sort of like put it into perspective as to how much you might speak to people with this condition uh, or these conditions even. Um, so there's roughly 250,000 people that are living with blood cancer in the UK. And every year, this is quite a statistic, but every year 500 children under the age of 15 are diagnosed with a blood cancer. So as I was looking into this, doing the research, what surprised me is because I know some, a lot of the main ones, you know, there's certain ones that you do tend to hear more often than the others. Um, but there are more than 100 types of blood cancer. And it's also the third biggest killer when it comes to cancers within the UK. So blood cancers, I believe, are generally split, split into sort of like three or four areas. So Matt, do correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so we've got the blood cancer, which is leukemia. And you will have heard of things like chronic myeloid leukemia, which is known as CML. You've got acute myeloid leukemia, which is AML. Chronic lymphocytic, lymphocytic, lymphocytic yeah. Yeah, lymphocytic, thank you, yeah. leukemia. Yeah. So CLL and acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is ALL. So there's some of the main ones, or certainly the ones that I have come across as an advisor. You then also have more the lymphoma side of things. And this is the one that we've probably heard a bit more about, especially when it comes to celebrities and things like that. So you have things like Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You can also then move on to a couple of other areas, which is a blood cancer called myeloma. And then there's also, I'm going to, I was going to say, I'm, I'm giggling because I'm going to know how badly and poorly I'm going to pronounce this. So I do apologize because it is a very serious topic, but it is in, Myelodysplastic syndromes, so MDS. Thank you. And myeloproliferative neoplasms, which is MPN. So I know, as I say, I just mentioned there's some, you know, obviously there's been some celebrities with um, different cancers. I do think there's been quite a lot of stuff at the moment where cancer. I don't know why, but I think it shocks people quite a lot when you hear celebrities with kind of, obviously it always shocks us when somebody we know has it. It, seems, it always shocks us when we find out a child that we know or hear of has it. And then you have people like, I know um, you've got people like there was Andy Whitfield, who was one of the main characters in Spartacus, or the main character, he was Spartacus even. He uh, passed away um, from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I think he was diagnosed around the age of 39. Um, but then you also have other people as well. So you've got the guy who played Dexter in the TV series. He's Michael C. Hall. And he had the Hodgkin's lymphoma um, diagnosed around the age of 38. And he has managed to obviously get through the treatment and is still with us and living. So obviously, I know there's lots of many types, um, but I think what would be quite good is, Matt, if you can kind of give us a summary, and, and I imagine it might be quite hard. I, well, I think it might be that the summary of leukemias versus the summary of lymphomas might be very different. Um, but can you just give us a bit of a background to blood cancers, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things, um, in fact, if I can take a step back, Catherine, just for, a, yeah. for 30 seconds, is uh, reading an article recently, and uh, it really just builds on the, the numbers of people uh, living with blood cancer. Um, but uh, recent statistics show that one person is diagnosed with uh, blood cancer in every 13 minutes in oh, the wow. UK. That's 110 people with a diagnosis per day and 40,000 per annum. 
which mm. kind of underpins, I think, the 250,000, which you mentioned yeah. uh, in, in your introduction. So it is a pretty common disease. And um, the, the whys and wherefores of uh, why there has been an increase um, uh, are quite frightening, quite, quite uh, stark, really. Okay. Um, and a lot of the thinking is around the environment that we live in. Okay. with chemicals um, on agricultural land and um, various other um, cancerous or potentially cancerous leading um, substances in our in our daily diet it's 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 quite amazing nothing ultimately proved by the way there but it, yeah but you can certainly see that uh, it's something that's very much on the increase um okay sorry to, to, to digress oh. as always with me no that was um, good thank you we've got no three uh, particular areas of blood cancer which you've uh, alluded to uh, leukemia lymphoma and also myeloma as well now they, these are all different subsets if you like of uh, gen what's generally termed blood cancer and really um, it, the way that these are broken down in terms of clinical medicine in terms of the doctors is uh, rather where, where they impact and particularly with um, the terms acute and chronic how quickly they actually spread but with as with all cancers um, the, the cancers themselves develop from what would normally be uh, cells in the body which um, uniformly um, uh, uh, grow, if you like, into uh, mature cells and so on and so forth. And it's, it's a slow progress and a uniform progress. But with cancer, when something goes wrong with those cells and they don't uniformly um, uh, duplicate, replicate, then that is when you will get a cancer. And that's, that's the same with all types of cancers, and it's no different ultimately to blood cancers as well. I'd also say the staging um, in terms of an, an underwriting practice and also clinical medicine as well is very similar with blood, blood cancers. In other words, you start off down at stage naught mm. slash one where the tumour uh, or the cancer rather is, uh, is very localised and right up to stage four when you've got distance spread. So there are common themes with the way that underwriters um, will certainly uh, look at cancer with many other types of cancer. But nevertheless, today is about blood cancers. And um, I've mentioned leukemia and you're absolutely right. This is a type of um, cancer which actually uh, affects the blood and the bone marrow. And here uh, you will get those uh, blood cells, particularly white blood cells, um, which rather than uh, acting in a, in a uh, uniform way, start to duplicate completely out of control. And they can, uh, they will impact the blood, they'll impact the bone marrow, and in fact, stop the bone marrow from actually um, doing its job in the, in, the, in the body, if you like. And white blood cells, as I'm sure many of you um, uh, listeners will know, are absolutely key in fighting infection um, yeah. within the body. And um, you've certainly, I'm sure, you've all heard of T cells recently in relation to COVID. And you think of an infection there um, and a virus that impacts the body. And the white blood cells that we all have um, are absolutely key to fighting that. So people who are immunosuppressed for one reason or another, usually because they have a, a form of cancer or, or a variety of medical conditions, let's face it, then uh, they will be susceptible to viruses such as COVID. T cells you'll see a lot of, I think, um, if, if you read articles on COVID. Leukemia, lymphoma um, is, is very much um, where the cells um, find themselves in the, in the lymph nodes and the lymph tissues themselves. That's, that's where they tend to accumulate. Okay. Um, again, um, the cells can uh, act in a natural control manner, um, to, to, to phrase it differently, and they can block um, the, the uh, function of the lymph nodes, which um, one of them obviously is to transport white blood cells around the body to help infection, um, but also reduces and takes away waste matter as well. So if those types of bodily functions are impacted, those white cells can't get to an area of infection, right. then the, the the body will find it hard to eventually 
um, sustain itself and keep on going. Myeloma is a um, again a, a bone cancer which impacts the, uh, impacts the bone marrow, uh, in particular uh, cells called plasma cells, which are uh, very important in transporting uh, lymphocytes around the body to to uh, to, to fight infection. Um, the plasma cells are actually formed in the bone marrow, and it's those cells which effectively uh, do not behave themselves when they're replicating and uh, will clog up and stop other uh, cells forming, which are important to the body. The bone marrow, as you probably will know, um, it's not just about white blood cells. It's also about red blood cells, which obviously yeah. produce um, oxygen around the body. Um, and um, also platelets, which are incredibly important for clotting, blood clotting. When you, when you right. cut yourself and you bleed, then platelets come in and, and stop the bleeding. All of those things can be impacted. So doctors and underwriters will look at um, the site of the, uh, the, the blood disorder, um, the, sorry, the blood cancer, and will we'll break down um, or, or come up with a, a diagnosis that will obviously be made by a doctor, consultant, hematologist, often, or oncologist for that matter. Mm. And the um, we will act accordingly uh, as an underwriting uh, professional, and the doctors will obviously uh, treat those people differently um, as they see fit. The ways of treating these it's, does that does that help Catherine by the way it does I've, I've, I've got I've kind of I've kind of splurged out a lot of no, um, hopefully not not technical but but just given a, 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 a hopefully an overview of the different types and it really is the the, the sites of what where, of where they are where the blood cancer is yeah um I acute, think no, I think it's helped me. I think it, probably for me, because I'm I'm very, very visual in the way that I remember things and I take things in. And I, I think in my mind, I've kind of got, I've almost got like, um, like a children's cartoon of a blood artery or something in my mind and like little, you know, cells bopping along in like a red river kind of thing mm -hmm. for the blood. And I'm trying to sort of like picture in my mind how it works. So I don't mean you start saying, look for where the site of it. So for me, when I, when I think of blood cancer, I think of the fact that, you know, I'm thinking it is the blood um, and that it's, and I suppose it is because of the white blood cells, but I suppose for me, I'm kind of framing it in a slightly different way. So like when you were saying about the lymphoma, it is a blood cancer, but it's not necessarily that the cancer is traveling around in the blood. It's that it's within the lymph node and it's affecting the function of the cells within the blood that's now going around the body is is that the right way to think of the lymphoma? Uh, yes, absolutely. That's, that, that's that's the best way to look at it at high level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, with the you'll find that the leukemias tend to um, the, the the cancers at least as, when they're localized yeah. will impact. They the, think bone bone marrow, and right. bone bone marrow being the manufacturer of blood. And when the bone marrow itself. Um, the cells within the bone marrow cannot function properly, then that can impact the whole of it, can impact everything that travels around in the blood. Okay, so say like with the leukemia, then so I've seen you've said that the blood and the bone marrow. So, would you be is it a case of just so I can make sure that I'm understanding? So, it could be with like leukemia that they'd maybe say, Well, you've got leukemia and it's maybe cited, I don't know, I don't know the name of the, the actual bones, but your thigh bone. Um, would that be? Sorry, am I understanding that right? Yes, it can be. Yeah, I mean the the the, the cells will 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 travel around, and if, yeah. if it's not localized, then the, yes, they, they will travel around and metastasize, as we call it. Yes, i.e., settle in a distant organ. Yeah, I okay. I think for me it's you know because of the fact that we've always you know I th this is definitely really helpful for me because I, I've always just pitched it as in blood as in. I think of the blood. I don't think of it as being localized. I think of it because blood is everywhere in the body. I've always felt that it's kind of like, well, it's everywhere. And that's completely my lack of, in a sense, my lack of knowledge and understanding. Um, but I think probably in my mind, visually, that's what I've always felt. But I didn't realize that it would be localized to a specific area. But as you say, yes, ultimately it is the blood though. And it might probably obviously start and originate in one place like other cancers can do, but it can off and metastasize so that's that's incredibly helpful for me thank you um 
I suppose the, the, the next thing for probably to, to sort of like look at is like, what are the kinds of symptoms that somebody would generally have um, for, for blood cancer? When absolutely researching this, um, particularly in terms of the symptomology, um, there, are, there are two things that I, I tend to look at based on my own experience. So reading uh, thousands of hospital reports uh, over the years, um, with with people who sadly suffer from some of these conditions, um, but also um, looking at the various websites, and yes. I, I'm not entirely convinced that um, the websites are fantastically helpful. I have to say, and I'll probably be shot by anybody listening to uh, to us today who will um, who, who produces these things because. The what you tend to see is a whole variety of, of symptoms, and it's it's, mm. it's you know I could be here for half an hour just reading them off the internet. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah. But um, you know, let's let's just look at um, chronic leukemia. Now, yeah. remember, I, I I may have just touched on this, but acute. When you've got the term acute. What it means is that somebody is suffering from a, an aggressive form of leukemia, um, which can spread rapidly. Okay, Chronic tends to, to be given the term that is given to somebody who has got leukemia, but it is, it is relatively, compared with acute, slowly growing. Okay. Okay, so th there is a differentiation between the two. I know some of the cases that um, I've seen, in fact, I think you've seen as well, uh, Catherine, are, are these pre-leukemic conditions where they're not really ultimately sure whether it, it, it's going to turn into a what they would define as a chronic leukemia, but there is certainly something abnormal in the blood that could and may not or may not turn into a cancer. And those are very frustrating cases, of course. Yes. Uh, to, to try and underwrite and um, from a clinical position then it's it's a wait and see type scenario you know take take bloods every year and see if there's any change where they the, then the clinician has to get involved and treat um, in, in terms of I mean uh, chronic leukemia let's take those so swelling of the spleen liver and lymph nodes yeah. lymph nodes and cancer I think um, a, a, pretty well known they have lumps and bumps um particularly in the uh, uh armpits some blood kind of blood cancers the, the lymphomas swelling in the the neck and in fact a very good friend of mine um i remember on the uh, before she was even diagnosed came to me and said there's a slump in my neck what do you think it is and i said well don't know could be something could be nothing yeah. And um, eventually it started to grow quite quickly. And in fact, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, right. a few months later. Um, still with us, thank goodness, as oh, uh, I have to say. Yeah. Only speaking to her the other day. Anyway, so if you're looking at leukaemia, bleeding and bruising, there's, your, there's, I think, a classic that maybe a lot of, a lot of the listeners will um, um, have read about or heard about. But really, when you've got a kind of acute... Um, it's it's long it's a long old list a fever lethargy um bone pain muscle pain anemia shortness of breath heavy bleeding during menstruation mm. you know i think if, if we spent a lot of time thinking about some of these symptoms i think we'd be down the doctor or, or yeah. being extremely worried all of the time but i think i think the for me and i, I share this with friends and family is Knowing your body, what's normal for you, yeah. and if colds and coughs and shortnesses of breath continue more than a few weeks, then seek help. Or get a second opinion. These are these are the types of things. But you know, to, to answer your to to answer your question about symptoms, very wide ranging. But I think it's around thinking what is normal for your body, and also common colds, coughs, as we all know maybe last 10 days or so, but once you get to two or three weeks, certainly three weeks, then it's time to ask a doctor or a medical professional for their advice. I'm sorry, I couldn't give you a direct answer. Does that help? No, no, I think it does help. And I think it's important to know that, because, you know, it, it can be worrying sometimes, like you were saying, because, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm 
always shattered. Um, you know, I bruise horrendously as well, but that's because of something else. You know, it's because I've got the hypermobility syndrome. So I do bruise incredibly well. Um, yeah. My tiredness comes from a few health conditions and obviously just generally life and children and work and all this kind of stuff. But I think, you know, it's being, like you say, it's being aware of your body because obviously I can have that and I have those already. So, you know, there could be that thing of sort of like thinking, oh, no, I've got all these things and these are signs I should go get checked. But then obviously they're, they're my normal, but then also being very vigilant because even though they're my normal, if it was suddenly more so, yeah, that's also just, you know, to not be sort of like complacent with it. And, um, yeah. and I think a big thing, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening will be aware of this, is obviously I think a lot of people over the last year or so have really put off going to the doctors. Yeah. I think, you know, if it was something, if someone felt a lump, then even some people still have put that off. Um, but I think a lot of people, if they felt a lump, probably would have still probably sought some sort of advice. But when we're talking about these kinds of cancers, where there's there's probably not a massive, it, like you said, it's the really symptoms really. are so broad. You know, yes. it's it could be that, you know, if you have been extra tired and you have been that sin, you have had this and that, you know, that you maybe just think, oh, well, I'm just run down because I've been working from home and I've not been able to escape. But it's still probably, like you say, probably that time frame. What's your normal if, it, if you're outside what your normal your body normally does then there's no hardship in going and finding out and obviously finding out as quickly as possible absolutely and I, I, would, I would also say with doctors and nurses and medical professionals being so busy um, and I know from my own personal experience uh, if, if you know yourself that, that you're, you're, it, it's not normal for you to feel in a particular way mm-hmm. be insistent yeah get put off by somebody um, you know um, um, somebody in the medical profession saying oh well look try another couple of weeks or so or, or yeah. no I'm sure it's nothing be insistent absolutely we're really lucky our GP surgery has been absolutely amazing this entire time right. really really good um, yeah. but what they've also introduced and I don't know whether or not this is something that other people have it's maybe a good idea to look um, our GP surgery has just done this thing where on their like their online at well, their website um they have um a specific system where you can like click a link and it says right are you a patient with us and you say yes obviously um and then it'll say right what part of your body what's where's where's something going on and so you choose whereabouts in your body it is and then it says right so where what do you what do you think is going on it maybe give you a few different things or maybe an other and you can do free text box and then it'll ask you sort of like well have you been doing anything have you tried anything and it's not worked so far and just like getting some information and then they'll sort of say at the end to you right what times can we not call you um probably a bit easier than sitting when can we call you sometimes um and then it just goes into the system and it has been so efficient and you know i'm using that and i've used it for the kids i've used it for me and, you know, you get contact so, so quickly back from it. And, you know, it's, I, I really think it's the way forward, to be honest. I mean, I don't, you know, I definitely want to still see GPs. And obviously as well, quite a bit of the time they've turned on and said, right, um, they've maybe sent us a text message link and say, can you send us a photo of what you're meaning? Or, you know, can you just pop in and see us? And it's just, it's been wonderful. And I think, you know, if, if anybody, if you are uncertain and you're worried about maybe being a pain or something, maybe see if something like that is available on your doctor's website, because as I say, I think it's incredibly useful. And also as well, do always double check and do, if you're an advisor or anybody who's working with people and they are your clients, potentially remind them about those value added services. You know, if they potentially do have access to some of the um, support services, whether or not that's speaking to specialist nurses, whether or not that is getting the remote and um, video GP appointments, anything like that, it could really help somebody. And it might just encourage them doing something like that might just encourage them to do it rather than them having to wait to go to the GP or feel like they're, they're wasting the GP's time. I think I think those words are very, very powerful um, without any shadow of a doubt. I think, you know, the, the, those systems are, are useful. Yes. Um, and if, if I go back, to um, well, touch wood. I've been okay for the last at least ten years, anyway. But either which way, um, if you go back to the old days when you went to see your GP, <clears throat> the first five minutes, if, if not longer, were about the GP asking about your symptoms. Yeah. What that actually does is triage that appointment, doesn't it? Because you, the doctor, when if they do need to see you or speak to you, will already know what the what the problem is or the potential problem is. Absolutely. And also it gives them time to think. Yeah. You know, being presented with a with a, a load of symptoms 
immediately that's a blooming difficult job and i know gps do a fantastic yes. job but that's pretty damn difficult if you've got a, a you know um, you're going to phone up mrs smith at nine o'clock this morning and she has a b c d then actually that does give the gp a little bit of time to think about what the issue might be and the poignant questions to ask so i i, I think that's a, it's a form of triage as i call it as, a, as, a, yeah. as an insurance person and i think it's great and i think and um, the more doctors introduce that I don't know if our doctors do I have to say then um, you know it, it will help doctors and patients and the NHS um, to no end well I think I do think it's brilliant I do think I confuse them though because I am somebody like, <laughs> I do I do um sort of like I do google and obviously I work in obviously the sorry doing quite a lot with terms of medical conditions and um and I'm also obsessed and I know it's going to sound around but loads we've got oh I got really obsessed. I don't know why. In one of my pregnancies, pregnancy my middle child, I got obsessed with watching the show Dr. Pimple Popper, which for most people is obviously absolutely vile. Um, I got obsessed with it. And I happened to have it on the other day. And I have absolutely diagnosed my dad with a skin condition. And with my eldest, he's had a little bit of something going on. I was thinking, I know what that is as well, because I saw that the other day on the show. And um, I don't use the technical terms with the GP, but I'm like watching what she's sort of like saying. And I'm, I'm like writing symptoms going like, well, it's this, this, and it's about the size of this, and it's presenting itself like this and all this stuff. And obviously, yeah. when they look at it, it does say um, mother is Dr. Catherine Knowles. And the system, they'll ring me up and they'll go, are you a doctor? I'll go, no, I am not. I'm sorry. I just... I just write a lot of notes and things. And you, you see how doctors talk to each other. Yeah, so it's... And, and therefore you, um, you, you're you going to... That's going to... I do exactly the same, Catherine. So don't, Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we can, we can laugh, laugh at ourselves, really, but it's... Um, yeah. I, I hope it helps doctors. He I says. do. I do really feel, though, that sometimes I may be thinking, honestly, but no, I, th I think I've been helpful so far. I, well, I'm just going to convince myself that I've been helpful. I'm, oh, I'm going to internalise that I was helpful and not think about um, being very unhelpful or sort of like intense parent. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the blood cancers, then the next bit. So what are the kinds of treatments that we would, you would usually expect? Um, when we're talking bone marrow um, and we're talking the disease has advanced and can't be treated in any other way, you, you'll, you'll have heard of bone marrow transplantations. Yeah. Um, and also um, stem cell therapies that um, are more common these days. And really that's a stem cell is just the, 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 the main body. It's a cell, yeah. um, but it can, it can turn itself depending on its um, makeup uh, to any type of cell. So in other words, it will, it will help the, uh, the bone marrow rejuvenate um, in, in, in simple terms. Um, to be honest with you, you can have uh, many types. Uh, you, you can have chemotherapy, um, which is very, which again is very, very common. Um, sometimes with, you can have radiotherapy as well if there's a disease, a distant part of disease that needs uh, cancer, that is, that needs um, tackling. Um, what you'll sometimes find when there's been high dosage radiotherapy or high dosage chemotherapy, then that effectively um, is too strong a word, but kills the bone marrow. It yeah. impacts it so much that it, uh, it can't function properly. And, um, and, and bone marrow transplants um, okay. will, will, will come from that. Um, so really you, you're looking at the, the, the standard forms of uh, cancer treatment from um, years ago, um, but you're also, you know, you're also looking at immune, immunotherapy as well, which is another one, another type of therapy which hits the news a lot these days, which effectively just stimulates the body to produce um, its uh, a much more positive, widespread immune response to actually attack the cancer. Yeah. Um, the, the, the blood cancer in this in this particular topic. Um, but that's being seen in, um, in, in many different types of cancer now and with some fantastic um, impacts and, um, and, and results coming through it. So I'm sure we'll, we'll see uh, more of that. I think I was, again, um, the, the sad person that I am was reading an article um, the other day uh, about, uh, I'm sure it was leukaemia, and uh, it was saying that... Uh, I think the, the data period was around 2010, but the five-year doctor, um, oncologists, cancer specialists and underwriters love talking, I say love, <laughs> not the right word, talk about five-year survival rates. 
to how long a person will, will um, or a percentage of people that actually get to five years post-treatment, how, how so survive five years. And with, uh, let's say it's around 2010, 2014, the mean survival rate um, for leukemia was around 69%. Mm. Um, this is this is all age groups. Um, in 1975, so just 25 years, 35 years previously, it was at 75. Uh, sorry, it was at 35. Right. Okay. So you can see already, and this really, if you if, if I think about the, the time frame of the more positive study there, um, that's really before I think the uh, interventions like immunotherapy and so on and so forth. That was that was what 35, 60, let's say double. Mm. So so things really have progressed with blood cancer. There's absolutely no two ways about it. And um, again, if we if we look at the youngsters, the tiny ones that um, get uh, leukemia, then generally these days um, you've got a ninety percent survive five year survival rate. Brilliant. So, you know, it's um, we're all heading and moving in the right direction on this. And eventually, and I can never say when, in terms of the underwriting profession, working closely with the actors, obviously, mm. then uh, those terms should be reflected in um, when people come for life insurance. Absolutely. So I've got... Eventually. Um, yeah, <laughs> potential, hopefully and potentially. So I've got um, a thing where I'm sure I'm going to be posing a question at some point is to sort of like why something has happened certain ways and everything and I, and I hope you'll obviously be able to help me but maybe putting you on a spot a little bit but for for this next one I suppose the question I have is that you know what is the risk you know if somebody's had something like leukemia or lymphoma what is the risk of that person getting well being diagnosed with it again or recurring compared to somebody else who's never had it it's a very very good question and I still, uh, I think partly the answer is to that is from an insurance actuarial perspective. In other words, where an insurance company would feel confident setting their rates. Mm. Um, we're probably too early to say, uh, to, to have the, 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 the range of statistics right. that are required for insurers to say, um, well, okay, this person, um, uh, I think you mentioned a, 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 an example um, a while ago now. Mm. Um, I think from memory, as a woman who's close to 30, diagnosed with leukemia at three and a half, had a recurrence at age five. Was that about yeah. it? Yeah, that's um, the one that um, I was going to chat about next. Um, oh, I'm sorry, so, go on. That's yeah, all right. No, no. So so I, I, think, I think to answer your question directly, and, and me digressing whatsoever, uh, well, sorry, as always, um, the, the statistical basis in terms of the numbers, absolute numbers of people surviving yeah. for a significant period afterwards are not there yet. Okay, yeah. I understand that because obviously as well, I do appreciate that insurers have to go statistics as part of the the basis of all underwriting and actual actua uh, actuarial work. Um, there we go. No, absolutely, um, yeah. But yeah, it was, so with this one, it was, it was somebody that I was supporting a little while ago. Um, so yeah, it was a woman, she was um, close to 30 and she'd had acute lymphoblastic leukemia at three and a half years old and it, it recurred at age five. And what was difficult, what I found really difficult with this one is the fact that I could get her life insurance on the standard market. You know, it wasn't, obviously it was a very long time ago. Um, so it wasn't really a, a huge thing to, to get her the cover in many ways. You know, she'd been cancer free for over 20 years. Um, but the problem that I found with it is that I couldn't get critical illness cover for her. And I found that very, very frustrating. And to be honest, I got a bit annoyed about it as well. Uh, and the reason being is that there was this steadfast rule. If you've had, you know, the leukemia twice, that's it. You are never having critical illness cover. And it felt <laughs> incredibly harsh. Um, and that was, you know, basically we only had, I think, a couple of insurers that were kind of okay-ish to maybe consider. And then once it was the fact that we said, oh, well, it happened again at age five. So it was a, a year and a half later than the first time over 20 years since she'd had it you know even when she's in her 60s or in her 50s or whatever she will not be able to get critical illness cover based upon the current rules and I just don't think that's fair you know and you know what I'm saying about asking about the recurrence side of things I mean I, I appreciate that everyone's individual and there can't always be you know complete um 
there's got to be rules and sometimes there'll be cutoffs and things like that. But it does kind of feel like, you know, surely you'd maybe think, well, after 20 years, is there really, is she at any more risk than someone else? Yeah, interesting, interesting debate here. First of all, I think that you, you did mention that this particular lady came to you a while ago. Is that, um, do I hear that correctly? Um, it was, it was I, I think it was either last year or the year before. I've kind oh, of lost you. 2020 in my head, um, <clears throat> so I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before. Okay, well, in which case, uh, for, for me, being a, a, a very much a wrinkly, um, that's yesterday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I, my take on the particular rule that you mentioned around if somebody's had a reoccurrence, they can never have... Um, it's critical illness that you had the problem with, isn't it? Yeah, not, it was. Not, it was just. Life. Yeah, life. Life, as say, wasn't particularly an issue because you know it was just a case of finding the right insurer. That some of them are still a little bit so-so, but the majority of them, fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the critical illness cover, and it, it just there was just no movement whatsoever. That's, yeah, I, I, my my view, rather like a few of the case studies that we've talked about over mm. over the year. Um, is that given the particular circumstances, um, I think that rule is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and also, it, yeah, it, 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 I don't think you can really come into, specifically that rule can't really come into a case like this, where you're looking at um, a three and a half year old, I think, and um, recurrence at age five, I mean, my goodness, that's such a long time ago. Yeah. Um, that, and also the treatments weren't the same. If I just go back to my statistical, my, my dreaded statistical, um, 35, nearly 70%. Yeah. I appreciate we're talking critical illness here um, and not life insurance. Um, but those statistics certainly tell you something. And I would have thought that you <clears throat> should be able to get critical illness cover. You might get... Um, a cancer exclusion yeah um but you should certainly get critical illness cover um and uh, yeah i find it a little bit baffling to be perfectly honest that um in those particular circumstances that you mentioned that it that it wasn't available yeah. um that's all i can really say to that it does 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 seem ludicrous Re- you know the reoccurrence of cancer is kind of irrelevant mm within the context of this particular case. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Again, it's, it's not the first time that you and I have had... Uh, um, yeah, a chat about something the, similar. <laughs> where these things, <laughs> um, you know, can, can't be done. Um, it's, it's really interesting. There are, there, are, there are, you know, there are statistics that do show reoccurrences a long time later. Mm. And they are quite high percentages in insurance terms, not in clinical terms, yes. but in insurance terms. That can be very interesting as well, by the way. Um, I, I am speaking to somebody at the moment in a completely different um, condition set. And it, what's strange is that, you know, obviously in terms of what the GP is maybe saying, the GP saying it's quite a standard, it's quite a normal thing. Um, not to worry about it. It's kind of like a, um, a secondary yeah. symptom, yeah. secondary condition to an initial one. Yeah. GP says that. And the problem is, is that obviously as an advisor and you're on the front line and you're speaking to the underwriters and you know the insurers are not going to see it in the same way. You know, it's and that is really, really hard. But, you know, it's probably similar with something like this, though. I've, gonna, I've, I've just done a little bit of a uh, divert there as well. But um, but yeah, so with this one, I just find it really interesting. It's something I did a piece recently. Um, it went out in money marketing. Um, with some of the work that I've been doing with different people about the concept. I know it's definitely available in France and I think it's in Belgium now as well. And for some reason, I want to say Australia, but I'm not sure if I've just made Australia up in the grand scheme of things about a person's right to forget that they've had cancer. And that's something that is done in indefinitely in France and in Belgium, where after a certain amount of time, they don't need to tell insurers that they've had cancer. And I imagine that underwriters listening to it and actuaries are absolutely recoiling in terror um, at the thought <laughs> of that and just going, nope, no, Catherine's gone too far now. We're not going to kind of thing. We can, we can put up with some of the things she says, but this is absolutely pushing it. But 
it's an interesting concept and you know and especially as well like in the mental health space as well you know you know we were talking about and that's the piece that I was saying you know in the um the piece when marketing you know somebody's had a suicide attempt in their teens and they're now in the 40s you know wh- why do we still hold somebody to that you know when they're in a completely different person to what they were they're a completely different life environment so I think it's something that's interesting and I imagine that I'll pop up every now and then um talking about things like rights to forget maybe and um, it, I just find it really interesting to sit down you know just put me in a then again I'm going to say this I'll probably regret it but put me in a room full of underwriters and actuaries and just yeah. get them to tell me why it doesn't work if it can work in other countries and I know that obviously other countries have different laws and registrations and obviously in France it is a law and in Belgium it's a law as well that they have the right to forget um and I imagine the pricing would significantly change for for everybody with it but it's kind of like that thing of, well, you know, for one thing, it kind of feels like the right thing to do. And I know, obviously, we, can't, we are businesses, so we can't just always go by what's the right thing to do. But the amount of people who have had something like a cancer, who would be, who cry out wanting things like these insurances, and they are struggling so much, you know, without the statistics to say, well, yes, you are very likely to sort of um the, the likelihood of you having a recurrence is this this and this it's almost a case of you know it's we're kind of we're stopping people from getting insurance on data we don't have which also doesn't feel great if that makes sense yeah yeah also very controversial i know i know <laughs> i'm waiting i'm waiting for people to contact me and say what are you on about alan alan said to me okay what have you said you know kind of <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, let's, let's, you know, I've been around a long time in underwriting and um, there are a few things I would um, agree with. Other things that I would say, well, OK, I can understand the, the, the social position on it, mm. but let's fully understand what that would mean for the industry. Of course. And it's the claims um, payouts, you know, I, you know, they, ha- they would have to be it's it would definitely not be an overnight thing. And there would still be things where it wouldn't be able to happen. You know, I think that's that would have to be obvious as well. But it, it just like, especially this one, so that, you know, this person who's in the 30s, who is almost 30, this woman, it just feels like she should have she shouldn't have an issue getting critical illness cover. It, it just doesn't feel right even from I don't know I know I don't understand all the underwriting side of things but it just doesn't sit right that she can't get it well I, I think it doesn't sit right in the circumstances that she cannot get a critical illness cover with an exclusion yes yep um to have critical illness cover with cancer cover then I would say I believe there are statistics around to show that that would not be the same risk as somebody who has never had yeah, those 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 uh, uh, leukemia at uh, such a young age. Yeah. Um, but also, there I would throw in, even if there aren't those statistics, then unfortunately, the way that insurers will look at it. But they will look at it in in, in, a, in the round and from the big picture. I can absolutely assure you. Yeah. Is that, is that they will say, well, if we don't understand the risk, we ain't doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I imagine that's exactly what the, the thing will say. You know, if you take any commercial, I mean, I know you're you're very uh, famous with commercial realities of businesses mm. and how they work. But if I don't think you'd find anybody saying, well, if I don't. If, if I don't understand what I'm buying, I don't mean this from the lady buying trying to buy critical illness yeah. or what I'm putting my money into, then I'm not going to I'm not going to put my money into it. Uh, uh, yeah, I you know I think it's say I and don't I think, think it's some things. It's the unintended consequences I think. Yeah. Of, of some of these things that that um, you know I, I have to say I, I completely agree that it is worth sitting down with. Yeah. XYZ powers that be and 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 talking it through but I also think that if we look back at some of the risks which wouldn't have been taken um, yes certain, wouldn't have been taken when I first started yeah well a perfect example would be something and, like people living with HIV you know this absolutely yeah. can the words out of my mouth I know that's something you feel very very strongly yeah. about then you know the insurance industry does move on and yeah. does when when they feel comfortable with the risk they're looking at, then they will 
um, they they will write it. They will offer cover for it. Yeah. Um, so I think some of these areas. I mean, it's an interesting thing, Catherine. I'll throw this one at you as a as, a, as an advisor. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm I. <clears throat> I work on the fringes of these things, so you have to excuse my ignorance here. But one of the things that seems to be bounded around in the press an awful lot is that people think that um, insurance is too expensive. Yes. Particularly critical illness insurance. Absolutely. And the price so, is only going to go up if it's <clears throat> uh, if there's a, a right to forget in there as well. So if you're if you're going to if we're going to cut out critical illness in terms of people disclosing um, history of cancer, and if and there is another important factor in this, but I won't go into it for the sake of today. Um, what will that do to the basic price? Yeah. You'll hike it and hike it and hike it, and nobody will then buy it. Exactly, yeah. They'll all be throwing so... the baby out of the bathwater here. Yeah. Uh, you know, one for what, I'll, I'll, I'd love to be part of that room, Catherine. <laughs> it'd be, the thing is, it'd be fascinating. So, you know, I'm not saying, it's, you know, when I start to say these things, it's not me saying, oh, we need to do this tomorrow or anything. I think oh, what no. we need to do is, you know, we need to watch what France and Belgium are doing and the statistics that they see and things like that. And, you know, maybe sort of like cancer is something where I say maybe that's possibly a bit too much of a push at the moment based upon data and stuff we have. I do think the mental health side of things, though, we could certainly, um, you know. Mental health side is a, is a very good one. I would, yeah. I would hate to think that somebody who would, um, I think I can't remember exact wording of the, of the example that you gave mm. um, around um, having thought about suicide or, or yeah. tried to commit suicide 30 years ago or 25 yeah. years ago. I would hope that most insurers would look at that on a, on a well, yes, he has completely changed yeah. his lifestyle. And, you know, that was down to, I don't know, late adolescence, uh, confusion or exam pressure or something like that yeah. and they would look at it look at it um and treat it as anybody else yeah you would talk so I think that particular example <laughs> yeah no no absolutely I think you know a lot of the time insurers are like that I think you know the times can you can have sometimes things though where I mean no matter what obviously we are asking people to think about something that happened a long time ago which is is obviously not a um, a positive situation for some people I always think some of the ones that stand out for me as well though it's yes it is for people who maybe have other you know strong mental health conditions well I know we're completely going off on a tangent here but yeah, just now yeah. that I've started I'll finish it but still like somebody with borderline personality disorder or bipolar disorder could well have had multiple suicide attempts before they were diagnosed um, in their probably in their teens and medicated um, and again that would stay with them but obviously as soon as you start getting to multiple ones you know you might find with some insurers that as soon as there's three suicide attempts in the history then that's an absolute resounding no regardless of time frames and again it kind of you know I'm sure there's some people again who'd be listening thinking well that makes sense but again you know if we were and it does happen we speak to people a lot who have had this and they are a good 20 30 years later and it's still stopping them and it feels like it's almost almost feels a bit like a punishment and it's kind of like it almost feels a bit like a punishment because they weren't they there wasn't enough mental health support services when they were a teenager and um and them getting that sort of like the medication and everything that they needed um but anyway that's that's probably an uh an, a podcast all unto itself maybe that's it maybe we need to do a podcast a bit of a round table I, I can't imagine that there's anybody in underwriter actuary world, bar you, Matt, who would put themselves forward to have that kind of a debate on the podcast. Um, but if you do want to, get in touch because I think that would be an incredible one and a bit of a right to forget podcast. Yeah. Um, I, 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 sorry, Catherine. No, I, go I, would, on. I would also say, I mean, you, you and Alan know this, and your team know this far better than any, or most, yeah, uh, <clears throat> most most other IFAs. There is often where you guys are willing to put yourself out there is often a solution out there yes you know it's I, th I think you are absolutely right that some insurers have archaic views yeah but i would hope the majority of the insurers out there will take into account the holistic scenarios which you have outlaid on mental illness absolutely um, i can't guarantee it but um, I, you know, there are often solutions out there. Going back to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I, um, uh, when I came out of, uh, of a corporate insurance world, I placed um, a million pounds worth of cover on a lady who had 
um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. Uh, she'd had a recurrence, and it and it was stage four, and yet I got cover for her. Yeah. In the in the high street, from a high street name. So really, all I would really say out there to people is there is often a way, a solution. Please do contact those people who specialize in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The yeah. I mean, I know I've been talking sort of a little bit of. Um, worst case scenarios there but you know there are options you know not every insurer is going to decline somebody for obviously multiple suicide attempts a a good few years ago no no not everyone will not to not to worry that's certainly not the case um and you know the same for the for the cancers except obviously you know with the when we're talking potentially about recurrence and with the critical illness cover side of things it might be the more specialist routes are needed so again it's not necessarily a no it just may mean that it's a specialist route but specialist routes don't always mean silly prices so i think sometimes people hear specialists and think oh well i'm just never gonna be able to afford that that's not always the case no, so it's, it's always about individual individual consideration and and looking at what's available so so to finish off i do have a case study when we're going to be talking about things so this is somebody um, and i found this one really interesting um and uh, it's not somebody who has in a sense blood cancer but they were somebody who had the potential for blood cancer so um so that's why I just found it I thought it'd be a good one to have so I had um I spoke to somebody and it was a gentleman who was close to 60 and he was a non-smoker and what happened is um about a year and a half before he'd come to us he'd started he'd gone to the docs he had some lower back pain and they were doing lots of tests they couldn't really figure it out um and for some reason I'm not sure why but it ended up being some kind of a blood test of some sort or some kind of check which showed that he had what's known as CLL phenotypes within his cells so that's the chronic lymphocytic that one (laughs) leukemia Um, and the basically that we had letters from the consultants and everything saying this is not you know leukemia it is absolutely not that but it means that at the moment I suppose that's what you were saying before though as well about being so localized Matt so yeah in his back they were showing that some of his cells had the potential that they might develop into CLL so this was unusual because obviously we, we're not having to disclose that he has leukemia because he doesn't but it's also something that we can't not disclose because there is that potential there we never want to go into the kind of non-disclosure route at all so what we did is obviously I spoke to a number of insurers and I had two insurers who said okay we might be prepared to look at this because we're, we're covering a mortgage liability and like, we might be able to look at this so what do we have so I've got obviously the um sort of like the medical reports and and things like that so I was going through it so there was lots of things that came into play with this so when we talk about the blood test so those things like I was looking at the white blood cells and the hemoglobin the platelets the lymphocytes the neutrophils and some other things so I could make sure that when I went to the underwriter I said to them this is all the stuff I have and you know what do you think and um, I went to obviously two and they said we could be prepared to give it a go so I went to one of them who seemed to be indicating better and we went through it and went to the medical reports and everything and it came back that they wouldn't cover him and I was very very confused and um, you know obviously he got me a copy of his medical report his most recent one um, just so that we could compare it and um, and I went back to him I was like I said right and what was fantastic is the underwriter at the insurer was absolutely amazing because what they did is they really took the time with me so I, I basically had contacted them and I wrote it all down because I knew that you know, if we did it over the phone and things like that, that I would maybe get confused with some of the more technical wording and things like that. And maybe obviously we're saying random technical words and numbers and everything. And I wanted to make sure I didn't say anything wrongly. So I wrote it all down and I just sent an email through and I was like, look, I was like completely respect the decision. I'm not, you know, going to be challenging, but I am confused because from what I can see, you know, I had all this information and um, now I'm, from his like previous blood test and his most recent one, I've got all of this and I'm looking at it and actually these two figures seem like they're better and like things have improved. So I'm, I'm confused as to why it's changed. Um, I'm sure there's obviously you've got reasoning for it and can you let me know why. And what was brilliant is the underwriter came back with like um, almost like an essay to me, um, and, but really informative and helpful and said, right, okay, really appreciate you've gone through all this and they were saying right well you can see this and this so this is increased over this time this is decreased over this time well for us um when we're looking at it we actually see this change here is whilst that one looks a bit favorable that one actually to us doesn't seem as good even though it kind of 
you might think it looks better. So it, we kind of went backwards and forwards like that. And they gave me this really, really clear explanation, which was brilliant because it then meant I could go to the person, to the client and say, right, this is what they've said, but let's go to this other one, this other insurer that we had as a potential. And what was good is that we went to the other insurer, but we were able to say to them, right, this is what it was like then. This is what it's like now. What do you think? So before, obviously, we do all the application forwards and everything like that, we got them to have a look at it. And they said, you know what, even with that most recent one, we can cover this. So I was really obviously pleased we were able to go ahead. Obviously, there is that kind of thing. If it's unfortunate, if you go one place for your client and it declines, and then you're trying to obviously convince them to go somewhere else. Luckily, with this client, they were just so, so eager to get insurance. that I didn't have any sort of like difficulty in convincing them to try the second insurer um, and obviously what was brilliant is that we then were able to get him and say so which remember he's close to 60 so we've got a decreasing life insurance of 130,000 over eight years it actually came back with a 250% loading uh, on the premium so it became 79 pounds and 77 pence per month and the reason I've included the loading here whereas sometimes I don't always say that depending upon the situation is I thought it was really interesting to say right well actually all of the market bar two insurers had said to me no then one insurer said mm, maybe but then it was a no but then there was still someone who's prepared to offer 250 percent and the 250 percent loading is not the highest that insurers will go to so I just think it's a really good example to say just because you've spoken to quite a few people don't assume it's a no for everybody um and even if it is going to be yes with someone don't assume it's going to be like the absolute maximum rating that they may offer and um, we've had it plenty of times where people have come to us declined by some insurers and we've been able to get them standard terms elsewhere so it is really a case of knowing the market and knowing whereabouts the the different underwriting philosophies lie um so that's the end of that case study matt I kind of think it reiterates some of the, um, on a positive note, some of the conversations we were having earlier, really. Um, yeah. and, and also, you know, on, on the NHL case, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma lady that I, that I found cover for. Yeah. <clears throat> I think there were there were seven no's and one yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, it, it, it just shows that in a lot of cases, I believe, um, cover cover can be obtained, particularly for, for basic life insurance. I think when you get into critical illness or income protection, you know, you know the, the, that'll change. Yeah. But it just shows you more power to your arm. Yeah. I, um, I, I seem to remember this case um, historically. And, um, yeah, it was highly interesting and very, very complex, as most of these uh, kind of pre-cancer blood, blood disorders are. And... Um, I am absolutely guarantee that a, a, a consultant medical opinion was sought on the case. You know, it's not something that an underwriter, um, even after 40 years, would, would look to try and decipher um, yeah. without another view. Yeah. At least. So, yeah, no, great. great. It's great news and just shows you what the industry can do. Yeah, it's, it's just showcasing what people can do. And obviously, you know, yes, a cure or a specialist, you know, and it is something that we're very familiar with. And, and some people want to be able to do that. Some people just say, you know, actually, I'll signpost it to people. But it's more sort of like just giving that information out there to say, you know, don't don't feel like you, you've hit a brick wall or whatever. Just keep going. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, you should, yeah, you should be able to get something somewhere. Um, and also as well, that thing of saying that underwriters, I think sometimes with advisors, we can sometimes grumble, you know, when we get underwriting decisions we don't expect. We can think that the world is very unfair when that happens. Um, but, you know, with a bit of respectful conversation um, with an underwriter, yeah. a lot of the time, you can learn so much, um, incredibly learn a lot about a medical condition. It helps you going forward with that client and future clients. It builds a good rapport. Um, with the underwriting team as well and yep. um, and you know they they are an, an incredibly useful um, resource when it comes to the knowledge of these things so um, we're at the end of the podcast so thank you so much for joining me again Matt it's been brilliant to have your insights and for us to go a little bit controversial for a bit I think that's the first time I've gone controversial on the podcast it is, so it's, uh, yes. I'm looking but forward some... to see what said what people say <laughs> there is nothing wrong with being controversial I don't think the, 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 um, and, and it's good for the underwriting fraternity to to be asked why yeah no, absolutely. and uh, nobody grows we don't grow as an underwriting fraternity. We don't grow as an industry if we are not willing to 
um, to, to think about actually the why. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, after 40 odd years, I, I, I have seen some great, great progress yes. um, in, in um, underwriting terms out there. Um, and, um, and long may it continue. I, I am sure it will. And hopefully Absolutely. maybe in 10 years or so or whatever, I'll just pick that number out of the air. Some of, some of your concerns, you were saying, oh, why was I worrying about that? Absolutely. Because life, life will have, uh, have, have moved on. And um, yeah, it's great. Never, never, ever please feel sorry for asking why. Absolutely. It, it, I think that's good. Definitely the industry, if you don't have people that you asking why. Yeah, on all sides as well. You know, yes, insurers indeed. ask advisors yes. and advisors ask back to insurers. Yeah. So next time I'm going to be back a little bit earlier um, than usual. We're going to have a small in-between episode. Um, so there's been a lot of debate at the moment on social media, lots of different platforms about things like advisors, advisors who take commission and advisors who take fees. Um, it's not an episode where I'm going to be um, doing debates and things like that. I'm just going to be talking about the way that the different options work, the positives, the negatives of both options, just so that anybody who isn't sure about how different ways work can listen in and find out. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please do drop a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. As always, don't forget to collect your CPD certificate um, through the website or via Okta members who are the sponsors for the website. And I'm incredibly proud because I've just figured out a way to automate the CPD certificates to go out and people request them off the website. So I think Lindsay, who does a lot of the editing and um, a lot of the marketing side of things for me, I think she's absolutely bouncing off the walls, so excited that she doesn't need to uh, to keep going in and doing sort of like, she loves emailing people. She really loves chatting to people and emailing, but um, obviously we're getting quite a few in now and uh, now it's all automated. It just means that she can focus on properly chatting to people rather than uh, doing the certificates but uh, but thank you again Matt for your time today absolutely no problem lovely to talk to you again lovely to speak to you speak to you soon bye bye